0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another Overcast Day here in the Capitol. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Dr. Darren Houghton-Reese, Chief Executive of Zinc, a dynamic leading arts and education charity that believes passionately in arts without exception. Darren, Hello. Hello, Matthew. How are you? Very well. Thank you for making it on the program today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to
1: you? Uh, I think it's probably a a number of things. The most important one I would have thought would be almost teacher. Um, I don't think that anybody who leads uh, should not do so by example or at least have the uh, relevant experience to be able to pull back on that and say, this is how we should be doing it. This is how it's been done before.
0: And how would you describe your personal leadership style?
1: Um, I like to be as collegial as possible. Um, We have no um, defined hierarchy as such at Zinc. Uh, I'm nominally in charge of the bunch of reprobates, but uh, we, we, in quotes, muck in together. Um, Obviously, my idea of uh, management style is that you manage upwards. So it's my responsibility to be talking to the governmental departments, to the infrastructure that we operate within, rather than having to micromanage the people below me. Uh, The people below me, if they need to have a a daily um, injection of what they're doing and why they're doing it, then they're probably the one person in the role. So
0: it starts with recruitment. I'm sorry? So excellence in the workplace starts with those who you recruit. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely, yes. Um, I mean, there's the famous expression the fish rots from the head down, and I genuinely believe that. Um, um, In my private life, I'm a beekeeper as well, and the queen basically decides how the hive operates um, uh, on a a very fundamental level. Uh, Her DNA is in each one of the uh, worker bees that are in there. If you change the uh, queen within a very short period of time, the whole hive changes. And uh, uh, the analogy works, I think, incredibly well within the marketplace and within the workplace as well.
0: Let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you were first starting out in the working world. Was there any particular individual or circumstance that shaped the way that you lead
1: today? Um, Yes, I I had an an unusual start. I uh, was racing yachts. uh, in the Mediterranean and realized that uh, I was never actually going to be that good. I was never going to be able to make a a true career out of it. I'd also always be the person who was in the uh, boat that was running up. So uh, flying home to my grandmother's birthday, actually, I sat next to a gentleman uh, uh, on the plane. And by the time we had landed, I'd been uh, invited to join the organization that he was with. It was a company called Crown House. Um, The chap was called Neil Rackham. Uh, very, very dynamic, Um, would like to think that he was modeling himself on no one, but in fact was was modeling himself on a a number of different people, giving a very broad spectrum of management skills. But again, with this hands-off micromanagement and managing the the people above to ensure that the environment was correct for the individuals to operate in the best manner they could do in.
0: Let's uh, go into uh, worker development. Within uh, organizations that you've been a part of, uh, have you been a part of any sort of mentorship schemes uh, encouraging the next generation?
1: Well, I, I, I think that uh, every single organization that I've had anything to do with where I've been able to make any effect has automatically had a, a, a mentor scheme uh, involved. It's either been an official mentor scheme with uh, mentors and mentees across the the, the, the different departments or more uh, likely the idea again going back to whoever's in charge of the, the, the departments looking at how they can make their individuals grow and become better um, it automatically leads towards um, uh, an environment where mentoring is, is the norm rather than the exception. Uh, I suppose one example of this would be the work that I did with the DTR underneath the Deputy Prime Minister uh, at the beginning of uh, this Millennium, we were working on a project to ensure that the different departments within the civil service, uh, specifically within planning, it was, and um, were were able to operate in a, in a more efficient manner. <coughs> Excuse me, um, utilizing um, electronic mentorship rather than individual mentorship. Um, this meant that there were a, a, a structure was built, a tribe structure was built where individuals within a small planning department were able to access other individuals' uh, personal details had been put on there by the individuals themselves. The next layer up, so one department talking to another, you were able to find an individual and what they specifically did within work. And the layer above that, you were able to find which department it is you needed as the umbrella organization. I'm terribly sorry. Um, this obviously then led to um, a, a easier assimilation of individuals and their working practices within the smaller group, but also meant that the environment that the um, group operated in became more and more open uh, with far less of a push environment uh, where where information is being deluged onto individuals who perhaps don't actually require it, and more of a pull environment where the individual is looking to get the information and bring it back to themselves. Uh, that was ninety eight, ninety nine I believe.
0: Now, if I was to ask you who the greatest leader was objectively, li- living or dead, who would that be?
1: Uh, I think it's an incredibly difficult uh, question to answer, I'm afraid. Um, I mean, there are people that nobody would have ever heard about. Um, one of the greatest leaders I, I ever knew was a gentleman called Mr. Berghead. I never knew his first name. He was a senior uh, master at my school and he engendered a, an environment and a, and a feeling within people which meant that they could do anything and and strive to be the best they could possibly be. Um, I have no idea what he had in him to do that. I was too young to be able to analyze it. But he was one of the greatest leaders that I've ever known. Um, but I suppose on a, on a more um, obvious level, you would be looking at anybody within the um, their own chosen environment who has been able to bring the best out of people. Uh, I mean, one that everybody goes on about is Churchill, uh, whether or not Churchill was able to bring out the best of people on uh, within his government, I'm not 100% sure of. Uh, um, however, he was able to be the figurehead that showed that people within the country were the best they could be. Um, we can look at the people, some of the people that have done work with the McLaren uh, Racing Team, uh, individual engineers within there. They have been incredible leaders uh, of that teams to be able to make these micro adjustments and alterations, uh, alterations to make sure that the, the, either the motor vehicles or their other areas that they've now gone into uh, are the best they can possibly be.
0: Now, unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But what does next 12 months have in store for Zinc?
1: Uh, well, I think, um as as, a, as an organization uh, is many-faceted. We, we bolt on soft skills to individuals who perhaps have not had the best start in life. But we also have a theater, a cinema, we have a 25-room residential block, we have um, um, assisted apartments, um, and we have um, a nursery and a theater school that operate within the building as well, as well as acting as a community hub. So... My ideal over the next 12 months for Zinc would be for that to maintain its position within the uh, community and within the, the field. But we are looking to expand and become more of a mainstream educational establishment as well. So we're we're, we're looking to uh, bring our uh, educational offerings to more people. <sighs>
0: Darren, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope that you come back on the program at some point in the near future. Darren, thank you. Thank you. That was Dr. Darren Houghton-Reese, Chief Executive of Zinc. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett.
2: Uh, We're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, It's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure you're delighted that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it
3: so far? Well, I think the party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than Trying to replicate a failed past, and she could reach out to people that others can't. So, I'm I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two uh, actually come through in the election on the fourth of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from
2: uh, four uh, candidates a little further left um, than them, who've criticised even the last Labour. Uh, Uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism.
3: Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in, having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, we we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before. Sure start to nurture youngsters from the moment they were born. Transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better and anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tough home secretaries, because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe, and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world? Th- those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years, Uh, An ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. ...staggeringly bad. Um, And And climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us.
2: No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine... Their future ideologies, certainly. And sp- speaking of your time uh, as home section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes
3: and none at all.
2: Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes,
3: I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves, small businesses have done that, The contribution to uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th- those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we mm. are dependent on each other.
2: Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin it, term. Um, uh, uh, extraordinary ordinary people and especially when it comes to giving your answer David to uh, teachers to carers people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day basis and without them half of society wouldn't function
3: completely I I call it civil society which functions even when government isn't functioning it's what it's the glue that holds things together it's people working and living and having their being together and recognizing that they are dependent on each other. I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein. I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in the, his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarising thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talked to the fans after the game.
2: Well, everyone knows, uh, David. You know you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. Can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week
3: after. No, week. I, it isn't. Although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very about good about Sheffield United in the Premier League because it it it's change. It does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City. Then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world, so that's good. I I, I could cry sometimes. We can we can beat uh, Brighton Premier League side in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them two nil in January. And then you can and lose five 0 <laughs> at home to Blackburn, and half the fans were out of the. Ground by by the half time. What, what would
2: a manager blanket say in this situation?
3: I I would have asked myself a very simple question: What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well? the week previously and if you can answer that question and there may have, something may have happened who knows, something during the morning before the game started something may have gone sour you get the answer to that question and you then start to ensure that we never never do this again yeah,
2: Well I'm a Chelsea fan so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made actually David about choosing a strong team people that compliment you a lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick, perhaps, the more ambitious, the more uh, uh, uh people uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Assistant? Well, I'll
3: reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which, as we record this podcast has not yet happened Mm. and I imagine I I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world you can pronounce on what you're going to do but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it. If they're just toadies by the way, and there is a tendency, a new Mm -hmm. Prime Minister, larger majority got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them but get able people in. I I, I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are (laughs) clearly (laughs) in the Cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about Mm. Sky, isn't worth their salt. But part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination, rather than sitting on the sofa... Mm-hmm. For a, a, an easy morning television program. Get out of the business, you know. Don't don't w- without do without a it. doubt.
2: Yeah, uh, that's and also I should add that is how, these uh, of all stripes earn that respect in the first place.
3: But there is a question, isn't? And there? And try and answer the questions. That's, that's <laughs> what I always try to answer the. Or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either way. Um... Oh well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, "I'm I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why."
2: Quite. Uh, <laughs> uh, the um. And I think one of the great things about uh, the Leeds Council especially is that um, it takes and talks to people, again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different. Whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether as leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When
3: people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The, the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better you you can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about, and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference mm. but in in the end you 've got to like what you're doing i mean the the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin they, they it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you 're really hating teaching or in politics you you 're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do, and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us. It turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Mm Centre three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a read-over in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives, either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognise, which is why being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> a, because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the leadership council if we can get people from very very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform it will avoid people reinventing the wheel it will take people a lot further than the the niche for good or ill the niche that they're in at the moment David. In the very,
2: in uh, a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? Uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January and where will Sheffield
3: Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above, I'm not. I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already indicated where my support is for the the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January, 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got a got off to a very very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the. Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019, uh, and that that's got to be Lisa Nandi or or Keir. on on the, um, the the next few months. I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though. Alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships, in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and, and politics, I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off, but I am really reluctant. And
2: I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blanket, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan.
0: This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye.